can I welcome all of you to this uh, discussion uh, um, here at the end of the play. I know that some of you, in fact, um, were here tonight, but others have returned specially um, to hear this discussion, and I welcome all of you. My name is Helena Kennedy. I'm a lawyer, and, and indeed, I think it's important that you know that I have acted in a number of the leading cases involving um, Islamic allegations of Islamic terrorism, um, including the liquid bomb case, the, uh, the conspiracy to blow up seven airplanes um, that were crossing the Atlantic. Um, I did the uh, fertilizer bomb plot. Um, I've represented a number of the wives who've been put on trial for uh, failing to report um, or for assisting in terrorism. And, uh, and so I have a rather wide experience of this period of terrorism. But I should also tell you, because um, it's important that you know, um, that I also acted in many of the Irish terrorist trials. So some of this that we've been hearing tonight has resonance with what happened back then, um, where a community felt beleaguered. And because a lot large part of tonight's play, it seemed to me, was about how this is experienced by people in a community um, and, uh, and what the impact of that is on the young and, and how people become recruited. Um, and so I think that we should have those things in mind, that there are histories that um, are kind of replicate some of the experience that some of us have in dealing with these things. Here on my left is Mozambique, um, who was held at Guantanamo Bay. Um, he was held there for two years. Um, and was released in January 2005. And I think he knows that I was one of the people who was uh, involved in the uh, work and the campaigning that took place in order um, to have people who were British citizens returned to Britain um, and campaigned alongside his father, but also um, gave legal advice in some of those cases. Um, Mozambique was Birmingham-born. Um, he became interested in Islamic politics in his 20s. He traveled to Kabul with his family in 2001. You might want to ask him why that was. The Taliban was um, in, uh, in governance at that time. Um, he uh, has given an account of going there to start a school, provide water pumps to the Afghani people, and was arrested in 2002 in Islamabad. He uh, then was detained, as you've heard, in Guantanamo Bay. He's currently the outreach director for the prisoner advocacy organization CAGE, and he appears extensively on TV and radio. He's a very eloquent um, speaker on the issues that uh, we're engaged with tonight. Um, he he's written for The Guardian's Comment is Free, and he's the author, author of a book, Enemy Combatant, and has contributed uh, to poems from Guantanamo. So I'd ask you to welcome Moism. Then. Dr. Shiraz Mahir, and you saw both of them in the play. Um, I've often thought that, do you, did you feel that you were well represented? Um, you missed the play, actually. I, I stopped wearing glasses about six years ago, so I'd laid to the door. Well, was, it, was, was he handsome enough? That's what everybody always wants to know. Did, did you feel you were played well by I the person? I reserve my judgment till the okay. end. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Shiraz Mahir will ask the same questions of you. What did you feel you were well represented in the play? Very well represented. Uh, good. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's uncanny. Uh, in fact, it's, it's true. He does look rather like you. Um, it's a wig. It's a really good. He's it's bald, a very good wig. Is <laughs> <laughs> that there? <laughs> I have to say, I spotted that it was a wig, but uh, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm a wig spotter. 
Um, uh, but uh, Shiraz, um, uh, we heard your story about the business of being involved with Hizbut Tahrir and, uh, and so on, but you're now a member of staff within the Department of War Studies at King's College uh, London, which is a, is a very famous uh, department. Uh, you're a senior research fellow in its International Centre for the Study of Radicalisation, and you are, are leading the, res the research on the Syrian and Iraqi conflicts and the recruitment and so on that's been taking place in Britain, and researching the development of Salafi jihadi pol uh, p politics. Um, and you've now become a real expert on radicalisation, called in by world authorities and uh, and so on to add to their expertise. And you, um, or, or the confusion, somewhere. Or the confusion. Yeah. Well, you'll tell us afterwards and 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 dilute any confusion. Um, and you've written a book, Salafi Jihadism: The History of an Idea, and uh, it's about to be published. And uh, you are shortlisted for the uh, 2016 Orwell Prize for Journalism. And I don't think that's been announced yet. I think it's going right. to be announced in the next couple of weeks, isn't it? David Anderson, very familiar to, to me, a colleague at the bar, um, uh, practices from Brick Court Chambers, but since 2011 he's served as the UK's indep independent reviewer um, of terrorism legislation. And he's been tasked with the uh, task, uh, it's a bloody great task, um, to report annually on the operation of the uh, anti-terrorism laws in this country. Um, and you wrote a report, A Question of Trust, describing the existing surveillance law uh, as incomprehensible to all but a tiny band of initiates. Um, probably the initiates are here on this on this platform and nobody else will understand. Well, I was what's corrected going on. on that Were you? in the House of Commons by Dominic Grieve, uh, who really? said, I was one of the initiates and I didn't understand. And he didn't either. understand so either. Well, I, 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 I think I would put myself the, in, the, the in that category. Um, but uh, um, you. I mean, you're often reported as being um, greatly admired because of the way in which you've conducted your role, David. And uh, I ask everybody to welcome all of our panel tonight. <laughs> now, David, I'm going to ask you first. What did you think? Did it, w did it accurately reflect your experiences of going to communities, speaking with people, of dealing with the, um, the whole business of terrorism and who is recruited and so forth? Did it seem to you to be a good representation? The play was like a day at work for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I have this incredible job, which means talking to as many people as I can about how these laws operate. So I do talk to Helen Bull and her police. I talk to spies, I talk to judges. Uh, and I also, particularly in the last few months, I've been uh, touring the country going to talk to groups of Muslims. I think it faithfully reflected the concerns that all the players have. I mean, one of the things that um, I think that I found most moving was listening to the mothers of young people who became involved. It seemed to me to be the guts of the play in many ways. Um, the pain of that and the pain of loss and the pain of distance and, and, and of self-questioning about your own role in parenting and so on. Um, again, I'm going to ask you, um, um, did you feel, I mean, have you heard families talk about their experience of losing a child and going off to take part in, in, uh, in Syria? Yes, I have. And, and, and I've also, and the same I know is true of, of, of all of you on the panel, mm. uh, I've, I've met quite a number of men who've, who've gone over there themselves. Mm. I tend to see them in um, unhappy circumstances for them when they're in the police cell uh, on their way back. Um, and all I would say is that uh, you have to forget your stereotypes. Uh, people go there for, for all kinds of reasons and have gone there for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. And they have all kinds of uh, preoccupations. Um, 
you know, I had a surreal moment talking to one young man who, uh, like most of them, was very well-spoken, very uh, complimentary about the way he was being treated and the food and so on. Um, and he'd been over in, in, in a war zone for quite a while. Um, and, and I said, well, is, is there anything else you need? And he said, well, you didn't happen to see the, uh, the England game last night, did you? Because <laughs> uh, I heard Rooney scored after, after a certain amount of time, but I, I didn't hear, hear what happened in the rest of the game. And I said, well, I saw the second half. So there I was talking through Fruity. this football game <laughs> to a man who just spent three months in Syria. And although he was a suspected jihadi, he was also a mad keen England fan. Now, you know the criminal courts, Helena, so nothing surprises you. No. <laughs> but uh, uh, it just shows you you have to leave your preconceptions at the door. And, and to some extent, one of the things that kept being repeated in the play was the idea that um, for most of the people who are going, it's a sense of alienation, a sense of lack of identity, and that sense of looking for meaning. I would add another thing into it, that for particularly for young men, there's a thing about um, sort of hyper-masculinity, heroic masculinity. The, the thing that they, you, you see in all the movies and everything, and it doesn't matter, isn't, we're not talking about jihadism here, we're just talking about the fact that if you're in your teens or in your 20s, the idea of taking part in something that feels, that it speaks to you as a man performing in some kind of way, that for, for, for men and for some of the young men I've acted for, yeah. there's been that sense. Yeah, I and mean again, pe people are different. Um, there's a very good book published early this year by a man called Peter Nesser in Norway about European jihadis. I hope Shiraz thinks it's good too. Uh, he, he, he divides them into four rough types and he'll take the typical cell and he'll say there's, there's an entrepreneur first of all. Now that person may well be ideologically motivated, uh, may well be uh, religiously motivated and may well be the person who's a sort of the mainspring of the team. He will often have a sidekick, someone who maybe have some, some particular technical skill, someone who's, who's maybe particularly angry about something, whether it's foreign policy or it's discrimination or something like that. But then there are other people as well who are actually more numerous, and he calls them the misfits and the drifters. And the misfits may have been people who perhaps were, were ordinary, decent criminals, as, 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 as we say at the bar. Um, they've been in prison, maybe they've been radicalized in prison. Um, the drifters, very much in it for the personal relationships. Uh, they couldn't care less about the ideology. Uh, in other circumstances, they'd have fallen in with other people and they'd have been doing something completely different. Um, so again, you can't generalize. You, you, you can't look at a standard route into one of these terrorist cells. People come at it from lots of different directions. Ideology is part of it for some of them, uh, but, but it's not certainly for not all. the whole story. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I acted for a young man who, for whom it was not ideological. It was about um, the receiving this, the, this sort of recognition of a peer group and being part of the gang um, and, and not really being very interested in the ideology at all. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you, Shiraz, about this. I mean, you, we've, as we've said, you've become something of an expert writing on this and your, your ideas are sought by um, uh, people who are um, bemused and, and, and perplexed and don't, seem get, don't understand it. So now you've got the authority that, that uh, comes with having researched for some time. Um, what is your um, feeling about this business that we've been describing of the different kinds of people who participate in this and that they don't all conform to one stereotype? Well, I, I think that's absolutely correct. I, I fully endorse what, what uh, David was saying in that there are multiple reasons why people have chosen to go uh, to Syria, multiple reasons why people have become involved in lots of different things. Um, I thought it was very good that you touched on masculinity. That's an issue that doesn't get talked about enough, but clearly um, there is a huge number of people for whom going to Syria represents yeah. this kind of um, sort of 
uh, hyper-masculinity and yeah. a sense of purpose. Um, and there was a very interesting video that came out you know, in the earlier phases of the conflict when um, the videos weren't as professional as the ones we saw here that, that ISIS now uh, produces. But it's a group of West London men who have gone out who call themselves Rayat Tawheed, the flag of Tawheed. And you actually see in one of these videos, it's just sort of shot on a, on a mobile phone and uploaded to YouTube, where he's saying, you know, you think you're gangsters. He's talking to his <coughs> old comrades and friends back in West London. He's saying, you think you're gangsters. But we're the real gangsters. We've got guns. And he's shooting in, in the air. And there's another clip of, a, of a, uh, an individual from, from West London, from the sort of West London cluster of, of um, British Arab men who had gone out there, where he uh, shoots this gun in the air and then turns around to the camera with the kind of swagger and posture that you would expect to see in a Tupac video or something like that. And the guy off camera who's filming it says, say Allahu Akbar. He says, oh yeah, Allahu Akbar. As if like, this is the afterthought to the, to the machismo of what he's, he's out there uh, um, doing. So I think that that is a very important thing. I think ultimately, and what the play I think really teases out, which is very important, is when you boil all of this down, you can never have one reductive thing and say, well, people who have this one experience or whatever, you know, this is why they become radicalized. Or this is why they go to, to do this. It's clearly so many things at play, but the issue of identity does seem to underride a lot of this. It does seem to be very uh, pervasive at some level for everyone, uh, um, and whether that's a sense of belonging or desire to be connected to, to something, whether it's to have a sense of purpose and meaning, whatever it is, I think identity, if you do want to start to say there's one underlying significant thing that we need to look at, it is that. And I'll just stop on this point, which is, I think, you know, as someone who's Muslim, who's clearly grappled with this issue, yes, the media and society can fuel this, and that is one side of it, but we ourselves as well, within our own internal dialogue within the Muslim community, we talk a lot about our rights, but we're not talking enough about our responsibilities too. And we need to give ourselves that space as well, to tie ourselves back into the state, because you know, you've seen it in the last few days in particular, this idea of, you know, he's an Uncle Tom, or he's a coconut, he's brown on the outside, he's white on the inside. Or, you know, they say, these guys, they're chocolate Muslims, they melt when the heat is on, mm. <laughs> right? So that side of the debate as well within our community needs to come from both sides. Yes, Britain, the tabloids, right, need to, need to calm down. Yeah. But we also need to calm down, and we need to have this debate on all sides of the, of the spectrum. Moism, what did you think of the play? Um, particularly the, the, the women and their stories resonated a lot. I think they did with everybody. I, I think I couldn't tell whether the tears of the actress were real or not, but in, in my heart they were real. Hmm. Um, it, it touches on a bigger subject, and that is that ISIS, this isn't just a story about Britain by any means. The largest numbers of people that join ISIS are from Saudi Arabia, from Tunisia, from Jordan, and from the Arab world. Uh, and some of our analysis are only idiosyncratic to Britain and to British issues. For example, this is like grooming is one of the analyses made. But that's not how the Arab world looks at it. They don't see it as a, they see it as a series of conflicts that has drawn in people because of the, the, the various fault lines that exist. Um, but, but one thing that perhaps people don't know about me that I was in Syria in 2012, 2013. Mm. I spent some time there, and when I returned, I was arrested and prosecuted, put in Bel Belmarsh High Security Prison uh, as a terrorism A category A prisoner um, for going to Syria at a time when Britain was supporting the Free Syrian Army. Um, my connection wasn't with ISIS because ISIS didn't exist. 
I met people who later I learned went on to join ISIS, and I learned very early on how dangerous they could be. Um, and I know this from personal experience, they executed people. I knew people that I lived with, people I stayed with, not just in, um, in Syria, but also even in Libya, where they are also rising. And um, w one of the things I thought of was the, the story of, of young men that you must have dealt with to some degree who've, who've returned and have been prosecuted. And it resonates with some of the things that have been said here, that there is a vast spectrum of the sorts of people that have gone over. In the case of one person that I was held with in Belmarsh, the judge asked him in order that he might present a, a one of these um, um, defendants, that he could present his own argument. Did you go to Syria to help the defend the people? And this was an ISIS case, and he responded by saying, no, I didn't. Whereas in the case of other people, they said, we went over to join groups that were fighting against the Assad regime. When ISIS came along, we didn't like what they were doing, so we decided to leave. When they came back, they were arrested, prosecuted, and each of those individuals was given 13 years. And uh, both were young men from Birmingham, um, 18 and 19 years old. They were not ideologically uh, um, pushed or motivated. The proof of that was that both of them had bought two books, Islam for dummies and Arabic for dummies. <laughs> and I thought that was just a slur in the Daily Mail. So I asked them, was this a slur? And they said, no, it's not, it's true. So it shows to you the kinds of people that have gone. But more importantly, if that's what they're going to get for coming back because they didn't want to be part of ISIS, imagine um, 13 years for that. The problem, of course, and it's the problem that uh, David has to review and the problem that um, um, you know, people listening will also think about is that um, some of the people coming back um, uh, who were Belgians and who came back, went back to Paris and blew Paris up. So there is a, there, there's a question. Some of the people who are going to come back are genuinely fleeing from something that they didn't you know, foresee in the first place, that they went for one purpose and then f found that something else was happening and saw the horrors of ISIS, um, want to come back and, and get, you know, and it's about making the distinctions between the two and that's what, what where, where, where justice has a hand to play and, and good representation and so on. But there will be people, I mean, the fear is, and people, you know, in this audience will feel it too, there will be the fear that people are going to come back and, uh, and actually have a mission um, as indeed happened with, you heard the mother in the play, whose son, um, you know, uh, where there were the, her son was one of the people who was a, a, a bomber in Paris. And, yeah. uh, and uh, I completely up. agree with that. The so it's a problem. It, it, it's definitely a problem. And in my, my view, one of the ways in which this could be tackled is let these people feel vested in the interests of this country. Let them feel like they're part of this country and not alienated from it. So if they go off to a war zone, as people have gone off numerous times in the past, as I did to Bosnia, as many people did to Afghanistan and so forth, they may be connected to a conflict abroad. They may, through their youth or for whatever, whatever reason they went, come back and, and think that my problem, my issue was never to do with the United Con Kingdom. This is my country. This is where I was born and raised, my family, mm. my school and everything here that, I, that is connected to me is something that, that's part of my own identity. But when they're made to feel like they don't belong, 
Mm. That's where the, f the, the danger lies. Moism, you, you know, um, I'm not, we're not going to rehearse your, all, your whole history and your whole story, sure. but you went, you went off to uh, Afghanistan at a time when the Taliban were, were running it. Sure. Um, I mean, most of us would find that very hard to understand why anybody of right mind um, or decent um, uh, um, values would want to go off uh, to a place where the Taliban, which was being run by the Taliban, um, and which was doing such horrific things, for example, to women. I feel it particularly, uh, and I'm sure women in the audience feel it um, you know why would you go there and take your family to but such a place Helena is that true is it really true because the street that I lived on there were white Western non-muslims living from NGOs and they'd been living there far longer than I had so my question is well I know that women surgeons who drove their own cars yeah. ended up being stoned to death in some cases that happened but the, the truth is that there were numerous people from different parts of the world that had come that were not Muslims who didn't end up in Guantanamo and mm. so you see, you have to ask this question, about w w what's odd about a Muslim going to a Muslim country to help build wells or to build schools where uh, I originate from Pakistan, Afghanistan's right next door. What's the difficulty? Most, a lot of Afghans... Your father found it hard to understand. No, he well, perhaps. <laughs> but, but you see, is that then, then the response is, as a result of that, we're going to torture him, we're going to no, imprison him, we're going not. to abuse him, we're going to take and him and away from his family and, 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 and demonise him. Yeah, and, and, and everyone, I mean, that was why your release from Guantanamo was so important. But um, um, one of the things that people want to hear from you is very kind of loud um, um, uh, um, abhorrence at, uh, at, for example, the genocide of the Yazidi. Uh, the, the, the genocide of, the, of, of Christians in that part of the world um, at the hands of ISIS by young men I've that are not I've any been different. You know about I've been, I, I, like I said, I'm the only person in this room that's been to Syria and seen what happened. So I've been speaking out about ISIS again and again and again and again, but it doesn't seem to be enough. And that's part of the problem of the play today, is that no matter what you do, no matter how much of it you do, you're still going to be labelled in one way or the other because mm. of how you're perceived. And that's a problem in society. That's one of the reasons why a lot of our youth are getting up and say, no matter what we do, we don't fit in. Mm -hmm. Bend over as much as you can. They simply will not get it. And I, I just want to understand about one of the things that came up was this business about how you deal with um, young people. And, uh, and it's a question that I'm going to take to everybody. How do you deal with the, 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 sh the horror of those mothers who say, you know, why did this happen to our children? How do you stop that happening? How, well, you know, what's the answer to that? Now, you will talk about geopolitics and the fact that, of course, many of the people who are going are from uh, Libya, are from parts of the world where, you know, the, where they, they will look to what the West has done in those parts of the world. And, and, and uh, you know, we can talk about a different form, uh, foreign policy. But let's deal with young people here. How, do you, how would you stop people being seduced into um, participating with ISIS? Well, first of all, you do what I do in my house and I tell my children. I have teenagers, I have mm. four teenagers, so mm. every one of them is, is a potential recruit. Mm. So I have to tell them again and again what the, the, what, what's the reality of these people. I have to tell them that you've got a future in this country. I have to tell them, I have to force them to believe in this climate now that you have a vested interest in the future here. Mm. Um, and, and the alternative is that if you get seduced by the messages of these people, your life, not only just your life, the life of your family and your community and everybody else is going to be significantly damaged. But again, I return to that question, how do I do that mm. against a tidal wave 
the likes of this, which this country's never seen before. Baroness Warsi of the, uh, you know, of the Conservative Party said it's, it, you know, you can sit around the dinner table, talk about EastEnders, uh, Coronation Street and Muslims. Mm. Uh, you know, it's past the dinner table test. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, and, and you, would have <laughs> you would have heard Irish folk saying yeah. things that were quite similar yeah. back yeah. In, in that period sure. when, 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 when the Irish troubles were taking place, where Irish folk felt that that was, that was how they were re being received too. Absolutely. I mean, it might not have been quite as, as potent as this now, but, um, but it was pretty, pretty nasty stuff. Um, I just want to ask you one thing. I used the word genocide. Would you agree with it? Uh, in relation to what's happening to the Yazidi and to the and to you know the ancient Christian communities in Syria I mean, and northern Iraq, I, I I don't know about the numbers and how they determine these words, but what I can say this is that it's simple. The, the, the Yazidis have lived there in that region for thousands of years, even before Islam. The before best Islam, before yeah, before the best of Islamic religions. generations, the, the 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 first Islamic generations came and went. They never harmed them. That's so right. who the hell are ISIS to come along and do this? Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, what would your um, recipe be for um, trying to deal with uh, uh, this sort of onslaught that we've had described um, by Moism, this general feeling that people feel that they're, uh, you know, they're under assault and this alienation that you're there for creating in young people of Muslim background? Well, there's two things to, to, to bear in mind in, in relation to that question. Yes, there is uh, an assault. Mm -hmm. um, and young Muslims, I, I look at it, and, um, you know, it was one of the words that was said in the play, like, if I were 20 years old today, would I have been attracted to ISIS? I think actually as a young person growing up today, it's very hard not to feel radicalized by what you see going on around you. And there is this sense, as you, as you mentioned before, that communities have felt, uh, different communities have felt persecuted at different times. It's, it's, as it were, our turn right now. The Muslims community in this country and more broadly in the West and, and in Europe is going through this, uh, the, this kind of thing. I mean, you... You, you, it's, it's staggering, 15 years on from 9-11, the way Trump is using this to, yeah. to, 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 to push his uh, electoral chances. So there is a, a, a bit of this um, uh, uh, going on. But let's turn it around as well. As the, the one of the mothers from Molenbeek said, you know, she said, oh, I work in HR. They say quite openly, we would never hire a Muslim, we would never hire someone who's Moroccan. If you go to France and you speak to French Muslims, you know, they look at me. And I've spent a lot of time now in Belgium, in France, in the Netherlands, in Germany. They say, you've got it great. British Muslims have it great. And so flip that around and ask yourself, as we're sitting here now, the polls are closing and a Muslim is about to become the mayor of this city if mm -hmm. the polls are broadly correct. But not and for want of being called an extremist. No, so I agree, <laughs> I agree. The point is, this is where I think David Cameron misses a trick. He speaks about values, he speaks... He should come out and say, Britain is the best place to be in the West, living. as far as I'm concerned, to be a Muslim. You see Muslims here represented at the highest levels of practically every profession. We're represented in the arts, in the media, in sort of these places you don't traditionally expect to see Muslims. And yet, there they are. So there is this tremendous opportunity. And it really dawned on me when, I'll, I'll explain the background for, because not everyone sort of naturally obsessively follows uh, events in Syria, but there was a family, the Manan family. It's 19 people from the same family, three generations, the grandparents, their children, the grandchildren, collectively went off and joined uh, Islamic State, and they issued a press release, they issued a statement about why they'd gone. And it was quite a bold uh, 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 release from them. But there was an amazing line in there that really leapt out at me. It said, you know, despite his best attempts, David Cameron and Britain could not wash away our Islam. Right, that there was this war in Islam that was being 
perpetrated against them here. And despite the best efforts that they'd somehow managed to hold on to this and had found their way to this so-called caliphate, and here they are. And the easiest response to that is, who is it that is bulldozing Sufi shrines? Who is it that is blowing up Shia mosques? Who is it that kills any Muslim <coughs> that doesn't conform to their very narrow, very, very austere, and frankly, esoteric construction of Islam? Mm. It's not David Cameron or the British state. It's IS that is washing away Islam, not Britain. And if, you know, if the government's not and shouldn't really deal in theology, this is the area it can deal in. It can treat us like the citizens we are and say, listen, you've got it good, let's carry on. David. One of the criticisms that came through in the play was the criticism of pre prevent, and I'm a critic of it too. Um, I, I um, am the head of a college at, at Oxford, and uh, and I feel very, um, I mean, I feel very strongly about the business of academics, and all the academics that I speak to feel similarly. The idea that they're supposed to, uh, um, you know, if they if they get alert to the idea that someone's asking questions or sounds as if they're, you know, challenging um, certain assumptions politically in a class that's, you know, teaching PPE, um, that that. What are they supposed to do about it? I mean, that's exactly what universities are for. I mean, that whole business of debating in the raw, you know, ideas and argument and you know, and so forth, and the idea that you would sort of be expected to, to, you know, uh, uh, report somebody is just anathema to the intellectual freedom of a university. How do you deal with that? Well, if you close down debate, you can't challenge bad ideas. Mm. Uh, I was up in Bolton not long ago. I was speaking to a teacher at a sixth form college there, and she was saying that in the old days when someone brought up ISIS, which they quite often do in Bolton, uh, you had a good conversation about it. Uh -huh. What are they trying to do? Is that the best way to do it? What about Martin Luther King? What about Gandhi? What about the suffragettes? They use violence. What about the mm. IRA? <laughs> yeah. Toxic views would come out. Uh, people would knock them down. Maybe the views would change, or maybe they wouldn't. But at least you got it out there and had a discussion. She told me now, and she's certainly not the only person who's told me this, you know, now people are scared. Mm -hmm. uh, they're and the scared students in the play talk about, yes. I, I'm, I'm worried about even sort of looking up stuff for a debate or, or taking part in a discussion. Yes. And what you also hear even from parents of school-aged mm. children is that they are careful. If something comes up on the news uh, and the child asks a question about it, be careful whether you answer it, how you answer it, because if the child goes into school the next day and said, Daddy was telling me about terrorism, is some trigger-happy person. Yeah. Now, having said all that, you know, I'm, I'm also a, a, cr a critic, and, and I think uh, we heard yesterday um, that the government appears to want to go ahead with its extremism bill, um, which in a way is the next the stage, and I don't view that with, uh, I'm afraid, any mm. relation at all. Yeah. Um, but I think before we go, we go overboard, uh, if we're relentlessly negative about everything, we simply, uh, we simply make things worse. Mm. And, and, and you know, if I have a criticism of organisations like CAGE, uh, I think it is that, uh, in a way, sometimes it seems that they are, they are trying to stir things up, trying to make things uh, worse. You have Stop Prevent, you have Prevent Watch, you have uh, stories that maybe are a little more highly coloured uh, than they were in reality. Um, and uh, if you're not careful, you lose sight of the fact uh, that it is not actually stupid for governments to have policies that are aimed at preventing adolescents from blowing themselves up. Uh, only, David, if I may too. respond to that, only th that it's not us putting out those stories that a child gets uh, spoken to, uh, to police officers because he spelt the word terrorist, terrorist as terrorist, for example, or because he's drawn a cucumber okay, and uh, or said the word cucum yeah. cucumber and it sounds like cook and bomb and, and they've, made, they've interpreted it to be cooker bomb. Yes, um, you're, you're let's take that That's example. not Cage doing you're that. You're quite right. There was an <laughs> eight-year-old child uh, who wrote in an essay for school, I live in a terrorist house. 
the police came round to his parents' house and searched it and looked at his father's mm, laptop. That was a great story. Uh, the BBC wrote it up. It went all around the world. It was in the Times of India. It was in the newspapers in Melbourne, in San Francisco. Aren't the police stupid? They didn't realise he meant a terrorist. Now, two days later, the police woke up. They went to the Lancashire Telegraph with a photocopy of the boy's homework. The previous paragraph said, I don't like it when my uncle beats me. And this had been a safeguarding intervention. Now, the Guardian has taken that story off its website while it's being investigated by the readers. Uh, okay. Somebody is probably gilding the okay. lily. Okay. Not saying it's the next one, then. Somebody is gilding the, the lily. A child who says cucumber because you can't say cucumber as interpreted to be cucumber. That's another one. Then there's a, a, a somebody who studies terrorism uh, at Staffordshire University. He's actually a student for his master's degree. He goes to go and read the book that's part of his course on terrorism. He's, because he's a Muslim, he's reported to prevent officers. Now, yeah. you can't get around that. These are not made up stories. No, we didn't make them no, up. You hear them everywhere you go. Yeah. And, and I don't deny that some of these stories are, are genuine. Uh, but at the end of the day, is it or is it not a good idea to have a policy that aims to prevent people from being drawn into terrorism? Now, I'm not saying they got it right. I think there is a good argument for saying uh, that being uh, attra attracted by the Islamic State when you're 14 is actually not very different uh, from getting into a gang or getting into uh, substance misuse or, or sexual exploitation. And there are differences. There are also similarities. And uh, part of the problem with Prevent, I think, is the perception that it is securitized. And you saw Helen Ball who's the top counter-terrorism police officer in, in, in this country, uh, expressing the views she always expresses to me, which is, I wish people keep the police out of this. You know, I wish the schools wouldn't phone us, uh, because as soon as the police get involved, uh, then uh, these uh, stories and conspiracy theories uh, get, get stronger. I don't think we got the balance right, but is there something we ought to be doing to prevent our young people coming to harm? Yes, I think there is. But isn't, isn't it like all those things, that, that, that it's far better for people to be hearing, having those discussions, hearing those things being said um, by people that they do trust, um, because I inevitably you're going to be um, anxious. I mean, I mean I, listen, I remember it with the judges. When we wanted to have judicial training, you know, so judges might understand things like racism, that they might really understand uh, um, sexism and the experiences of women and so forth, in the, and we wanted to have some training introduced into the system. The only people that were prepared to hear from were other judges. And so, you know, that, that's how it is. People like to hear from people like themselves. And so why isn't it that, that we're, you know, talking to the, the Muslim community about who the best people are? Well, to, I mean, the Muslim community, we, say we talk to the Muslim community as if we're, it's like there's headlines, you yeah. know, Muslims are making us do things. And yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. All the vilification that comes the way of those tabloid mm. papers, I'd entirely agree with. But I think actually Muslims are doing great things themselves. Mm. And again, Mosin probably wouldn't agree with me that some of these are great things, because some of them take money from the government to do it. But if you look, for example, at Sarah Khan and the work she does with Inspire and her colleagues at Inspire, uh, she believes in empowering Muslim women. She's all about critical thinking. That really is the key to helping people sort out good ideas from bad ideas. I don't we'll think Mosin agrees with you. I have two daughters, and, and uh, I believe in empowering them too. They're completely empowered. I don't need Sarah Khan to come along and, and teach us that. I'm sorry, that's, uh, that, that's not the case. The issue here, and I'll tell you, uh, I'll say it again, that how many people have been in Syria and seen what, what I've seen or other people have seen and come back and been able to uh, be given the space where they can talk about ISIS in a real way, not in a, not in a way that's supported by the government, which is a confused, the government's position being co is completely confused because in the beginning of the war, they were supporting ISIS. They were supporting the, s the groups that fought along with ISIS. They were supporting the Free Syrian they Army. They support ISIS. They, su okay, they supported Jabhat al-Nusra. Uh, indirectly, mm. because the Free Syrian Army's leader, Riyad al-Assad, said quite categorically that Jabhat al-Nusra are our brothers and banning them was a mistake by the West. The British government supported 
the Free Syrian Army, which fought alongside al-Nusra until January 2014 with, uh, with non-lethal aid. It's a completely confused message, you see. And so the only way to disentangle this is have real credible voices that can go into the community without fear of being prosecuted and say what they need to say. Before I go, I just want to ask you, who would you be supporting in the, in the great Syrian debacle just now? Al-Shaab yurid isqat al-Nizam. That in Arabic means the people want to bring down the government. And that means the people. But the people are speaking with many voices. They are indeed. <laughs> That's because there's many people. Right. Um, I'm reaching my closing hour. And I have to do this very deliberately because Moism's got to get the last train back to, to Birmingham, the last train. So, um, uh, and, and so I want to just say um, it was really very stimulating hearing from this ver very interesting panel. And I want you to all join me in saying thank you to them in the usual way. Thank you. Thank you.